Hey, Deliberate Leaders. I am Allison Dunn, executive coach and host of the Deliberate Leaders podcast, where we are dedicated to helping leaders build strong, thriving businesses. Each episode, we feature an inspiring interview to help you on your leadership journey. And I'm so excited to introduce today Ira Wolf. Um, he is an HR visionary thinker, an accomplished speaker and author of the Recruiting in the Age of Googleization. Ira has been the leader in pre-hire in leadership assessments, recruitment, marketing, and workforce trends for over 25 years. He put forth the passion and mindset required for the convergence between people and technology. And um, I kind of love this description. He's been described as the millennial trapped in a baby boomer's body and the world's first Googleization officer, which I think is chief Googleization officer. Ira, welcome to the, the Deliberate Leaders Podcast. It, it's my pleasure to be here. Very excited to, uh, to join you today. Thanks. Fantastic. I love to kick these off with a quick, deliberate conversation. And I say quick, meaning, you know, it's just a, a, a small part of what we're going to talk about. But um, what would be your um, number one leadership tip that you would give our leadership listeners today? Great question. Um, probably being adaptable. Um, we're working a lot on that, how to be adaptable. Uh, and we'll talk a little bit down the show. And actually, I, this, this wasn't a setup, but it was a good setup for me because we actually just released an adaptability quotient. Uh, oh, fun. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's actually a lot of research was done into it, partnered with the group that had been doing that. Uh, and uh, yeah, I'm really excited. We, we actually haven't even officially made it available yet. So some finishing the, the assessments done, but the the, the portal and access. So, but uh, we definitely can talk about it. So adaptability is no question the number one skill that every. In fact, they just wrote an article was adaptability is everyone's job these days. Is that not so the truth, especially right now? I think um, so. Um, I love that as a tip. I think that it's uh, critical, especially now more than ever. Um, what is um, what would be the tip that you would give based on the research you've done um, when you when someone should identify that that they're not being adaptable enough? Oh, um, well, one is it, it's interesting because uh, the the assessment broke it down into three areas, and this was based on research uh, from universities, organizations, science backed, even uh, even involved with Singularity University. So a lot of people were involved in and in identifying this, and they identified three areas. And the, and the acronym is ACE, A-C-E. So one is, is your ability. So some people have, um, you know, maybe it's their cognitive ability. Not that they're not smart, but they may overthink things, okay? Um, but, you know, some people have, are, are more open-minded and more curious. So those are all ingredients. And so one's ability. Uh, the other is character. Your personality does impact that. Um, you know, extroverts are going to be more engaged. Introverts are going to think about it a little bit. Uh, so, your uh, how how you manage your stress? Are you resilient? Are you resilient, or do you have grit? Uh, you know, what, whatever words we want to throw out, uh, some of they become buzzwords. But uh, you know, that all makes up uh, our character. But the third part is super important, uh, and it's our environment, and yeah. the, it's the cultures and the companies and, and the people we hang with. And our edu the education system, 
And sometimes people are have the ability and they ain't got the right character, but they're just stifled. And other times they're given opportunity, but their mm -hmm. personality or ability hold, holds them back. So there's actually 17 different dimensions that were identified as critical. So it was tough to say, you know, what, what does somebody need to do? The, the one thing I would, I would tell everybody, if there was one out of all those areas that, that I would suggest doing, actually there's two. Um, the very first one is being open-minded. Uh, even more so than being curious is at least open mind. If, if you're open minded, then you probably are curious. But if you're curious, it doesn't mean you're open minded. So you may, Very true. You may, <laughs> you may find the rabbit hole to go down and and uh, really curious about that rabbit hole, but it may not it may not open you up. So I would say open mindedness. Uh, I always quote her. I, I quote her a lot um, rather than spending all our time going into it. But uh, Carol Dweck. Uh, DWECK wrote a book on mindset and she talks about the fixed and growth mindset and growth mindset is just so critical that we allow ourselves to make mistakes. Nobody's going to be perfect moving forward. You know, every, uh, I heard this from some of the top people, um, really experts uh, from military government organizations, CEOs uh, early on in the pandemic. And they said, everybody's faking it. And when you heard that from some of the most successful people in the world that, hey, we're all just faking it, you know, to get through this, um, what they're allowing themselves to do is, is make mistakes. Um, and hopefully none of them are, are fatal or lethal mistakes, but, you know, taking little baby steps, every, we have to allow ourselves to make mistakes. Thank you. I, um, I appreciate um, your insights into that. And I do think open-mindedness is super key. Yeah, the other one, which is also interesting, um, is unlearning. Unlearning is, is yeah. kind of, you know, started as like, yeah, unlearning. Unlearning is hard to do because we've wired, our brains are wired. I mean, you know, now that we understand what neuroscience looks like, there, there's patterns. There, there's actually um, a great video. I, I would suggest people, you can go to YouTube. I didn't, it's not mine, uh, but I just discovered it about a couple weeks ago, and, and I thought it was a brilliant idea of how difficult it is to unlearn. Um, it's called the backwards bike. I don't know if you've ever, if you've, have you seen that? Have you seen the backwards bike? I have not. I'm, I am definitely Googling it's, this. It's, it's, it, it absolutely is the best example. He, this guy's a mechanic, was an engineer. And um, he, he's got his, he's not working on his PhD. He's got a whole bunch of degrees, very theoretical guy, but young guy, great personality. And he, and he talks about what he did was they took the shaft from the bicycle, the, the steering column, and he got a mechanical engineer to reverse the gear. So when you turn left, you turn the, the, the bar handlebars left, the wheel turns to the right and vice versa. And you go, oh, well, you just, you learn how to do things opposite. It's like uh, when I've gone to England or Australia, uh, we've learned to drive on the other side of the road and it takes a little getting used to until you go around the roundabout or a circle, you know, and that, that's a little harrowing. But then when I came back, then I was struggling when we landed, we landed in New York and I struggled in New York. Which way, which way do I turn? But you, you, you're hardwired. So, you know, you, you, you learn to adapt. The bicycle is really, really hard because you balance yourself by making these little adjustments. So it's not like, oh, it only matters when you turn. It was a great example of how difficult it is to unlearn. And, and we're all in this, we all have to unlearn what we, when people say we need to go back to normal, there is no going back to normal. And we all have to, we all have to make room in our brains 
to, to move to this next normal. And that's and by part of adaptability, one of the skills in adaptability, uh, sub-skills in adaptability is unlearning what we need to unlearn. Yeah. Wow. Um, I it off, right? <laughs> yeah, that's and on it. I think that it is, um, it's not a topic that anyone is talking about, but how re like so relevant that is. Um, and oh, I think a lot of samples right now. Hmm? Oh, I'm yeah. sorry, and I appreciate the opportunity. Where hopefully there will be a lot more people talking about it after this. Um, I know that you are um, kind of, you know, labeled as a visionary thinker in HR. And so right now, I just believe we're at this pivotal point in our world in how we work and way we think about recruitment and hiring. And I'm just curious, in your crystal ball, Ira, um, how do you see, um, what is your outlook on hiring or, you know, going forward? Um, I, there's sort of the, the shovel to teaspoon analogy um, that teed up a topic to talk about. So um, what's your outlook? Uh, we're going to hire. Companies are going to hire people. Um, the hiring, you know, one is anyone who thinks that hiring got easy because we now have uh, 15 or so million people on the unemployment rolls, 50 million people on unemployment claims, you know, that are either partially or being subsidized by PPP or unemployment or, or something. Um, the fact of the matter is, is we still have a skill shortage for, you know, for basically lower skilled jobs and, and, and some frontline jobs such as in hospitality and things although those are relatively skilled these days as well but um there there's going to be an abundance of people but i can't tell you how many calls and panels and conversations i've been involved with uh that the skilled labor market whether it's an engineer or data science or sales uh management leadership um the skill gap got much worse in the last six months so despite the unemployment numbers, the difficulty in finding people who have the skills to do what you want to do. And then on top of that, not only do they have to have the skills to do the job they used to do, but now they have to have the skills to be able to work remotely or telecommute or work with people who telecommute. Uh, so, you know, there's two sides of it. Can you do the job and then can you manage the people that are doing the job or communicate with the people that are doing that? Um, it's just got a whole lot complicated so where everybody says wow you know we lucked out this time we you know it's the skills gap was just going to crush us in january where are we going to find the people and whew, you know we had all these people that are unemployed now uh, we'll be able to to get through this and give us time um that's not true because six months later people are really really struggling to find people in 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 many industries almost all the geographic areas. There's certain pockets, there's certainly communities that that don't have enough jobs, but um, it, it's it's gonna, so my analogy is you you mentioned, uh, for the people in the North, and I know you were from New Hampshire, I'm from Pennsylvania, Originally? people that understand that it's, it's literally, it, it because there's just more people applying for the job, um, but there's still X number of jobs and there's still not a lot of talented people um the it, it's like shovel you know what talent acquisition is going to be like recruitment is going to be like it is shoveling out of a out of a blizzard with a teaspoon you know for the people in the south um it's going to be uh draining of flood with this uh draining of flood with the straw so 
Um, all, all that happened was there's just a lot more people that are applying. Um, I had a client the other day, it's now about a month ago, and he, they started to rebound and they called me. And he called me and he said, you were so right. Uh, we used to be get this was his words. We used to get twenty to twenty five, maybe fifty applicants out of on from Indeed. Out of that, two or three might have been remotely qualified. Mm -hmm. Within twenty four hours, they had thirteen hundred applications, and they did not have a system in place. They don't. They didn't have an ATS. We're just a small company. We don't need anything like that. Um, you know, wasn't worth it. Um, the process is in place. You just can't do it through email and spreadsheets anymore. Um, and, and the good candidates are going to wait around, so, which gets into no. editing experience. Yeah. Um, that is um, a fortunate challenge, like a shift as opposed to not having enough, but then to have a whole bunch of maybe um, unqualified candidates that you still have to sift through and figure out how to de-select and de, you know. It's a combination of both. Right? Like, I mean, there may be some candidates that are looking, but I can tell you the good candidates are selective, even if they're out of work. Yeah. Um, you know, there many of them, again, were on PPP, they're on subsistence, some of them, had, they're not ready to jump back in uh, to the market. So you still have to, you know, have a great candidate experience, present yourself have a good, a, a robust culture that people want to work there for the talented people. Are there are people who want a paycheck? I mean, the people who just want a paycheck, you're going to be overwhelmed if you don't have a good screening and selection process. For sure. Do you have, so you spoke about the North and the South. Do you have any predictions for kind of my side of the country where I am today, which is in Idaho? I, it's, it's universal. This is global. I mean, everybody's struggling with it. Um, there's going to be pockets. I mean, I talked, I, I did a presentation for uh, uh, the Missouri State Sherm the other day, and it was virtual, of course. And, but there was a chat going on on the side and people were talking about in, uh, there were people saying, oh, we just can't find people. Uh, and then in the same token is like, oh, we've got like 22% unemployment in our area. But I pulled it up on a map and, you know, they were literally between um, Chicago, they were, they were 100 miles from Kansas City and I can't remember what the next closest city in, in Illinois was, but they're basically in the middle of nowhere and their economy was not robust before um, they depend, you know, so they depended partly on agriculture, partly small manufacturing, small businesses, and they're hurting. I mean, so they, they just don't have jobs. So it depends. I mean, you're going to hear stories like that, that, oh, how bad it is. Um, but I can tell you that if we really truly had a mobile society where people can pick up and move and not worry about selling their house and, and do all those sorts of things. Certainly in the a lot of millennials and G are, and Gen Z are in that place. Um, but, uh, you know, overall, I mean, it's pretty remarkable. Our, our, our economy was pretty resilient to even be at the place it is now. Um, and, uh, you know, considering how many people are unemployed and, and the uh, crisis we're still in. For sure. Um, insights into kind of what we're experiencing like right here is we're, um, we're an influx market. We're definitely getting um, a lot of um, a movement towards Idaho uh, because of um, just the asso associating states around it. Um, it's kind of a beautiful place to, to live and a place to start a business um, or move your business. Um, but we've also had that combination. So we have um, small businesses coming. We also have a, um, a large um, plant um, distribution facility from Amazon, and what I everybody, <laughs> I, I suppose that's true, right? Yeah, we have, well, we have true. four of them now. So oh my goodness, and so we're just now seeing the impacts of 
um, what an employer of that size can do to our, um, our, our labor markets just in general, um, which is incredible. So if there's a word, you know, we talked about, the, you know, a word for leadership. I think if there's a word that describes the time we're living in is disruptive. Yes. Yeah. And, and again, this it, disruptive transformational is, is, is literally a kind word. Uh, when we talk about leadership and what we need to do, we, we are living in a disruptive time. And, you know, of course, I've got my, the acronym uh, that we talk about, which is VUCA, you know, volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. And um, I've been talking about that for, well, it's been around for 30 years. I did not make that up. That was, it came from military um, history and their understanding what the world was going to look like in 1990 after the Berlin Wall came down, what the world was going to look like. And uh, they anticipated terrorism and a and, and number of other enemies that we'd have to face. And they came up with how do you function in a VUCA world, volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. Uh, and then it got picked up by business saying that was what our future was going to be. But people didn't really get it. Um, you know, they understood volatility. Yeah, we have our ups and downs and, and uncertainty and complexity, but mm -hmm. we're living it. I, I don't know of a better acronym that describes 2020. Yeah, I agree, Buka. Um, I know that everyone keeps on talking about um, getting back to back to normal, right? Um, and I don't even know, like, you know, new next, new normal, like, I don't know what you're coining it as, but what do you, where do you see us um, heading, even, especially since we're in an amplified VUCA world? Yeah, well, one is I wrote an obituary to normal, um, and it's up on my LinkedIn profile, so anybody who wants to search for it. Obituary and normal. You wrote oh on a bit because it died. Oh, yeah, nor, nor, normal. <laughs> normal died, and everybody's mourning and grieving it. And mm -hmm. left behind a, a wife, Mr. Normal left behind uh, uh, certainty, his wife's certainty, and his daughter consistency. So, uh, you know, so very short. It's only like three paragraphs, but it basically is where everybody's grieving and they want to go back to the way it was. It's not going to happen. Uh, we've never. It never has. We never will. Um, we're, we're not going back. Um, so, but like you, it's like whatever we want to call this. I, I struggle uh, because I don't like the word the new normal. Um, I've played with next normal. A um, couple people I've interviewed and talked to and I respect, you know, they talk about future next. Um, mm -hmm. Another colleague of mine talks about normal 2.0, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> it's we're, we're moving somewhere forward. We're not going back. Uh, and so whatever you want to call it, um, you know, I just, I even just saw this, and again, I, I've got to go to people that are a lot smarter than I am on, on predicting what, not necessarily trends are going to be, but, you know, when's the economy going to recover? When, when are we going to come out of this? And, and that's going to sort of set the foundation for some type of new normal mindset, new normal lifestyle. And at best, they're talking 2022. So it's not that far off anymore. I mean, crazy to think that 2022 is only 15 months away uh, or approximately whenever, uh, whenever you're listening to this. Uh, but uh, it's going to be very, very different um, in, in ways that we couldn't possibly imagine uh, to, to the point where just about a year ago, right now, I gave a presentation on, it was, it was uh, Workforce 2030 was the title of it. And it was a keynote. And we, I talked about whatever you thought was going to happen in 2050 was probably going to happen in 2030. 
every thought was going to be 2030 at the pace that things were accelerating was probably 2025. And then we had the pandemic. And the reality is, is a lot of the predictions from 2030, including telecommuting, working from home, uh, happened in 2020. And uh, so the, the, the re a lot of the predictions, you know, like the Jetsons of flying cars, it's, it's not going to happen. But there's a lot, the, the, even autonomous vehicles, the acceleration of autonomous vehicles, um, you know, picked up, it didn't slow down. It's not like, oh, we got to table that and put that off a couple of years. It accelerated. And what, what I found was um, very interesting, kind of a short story in my book, Recruiting in the Age of Googleization. So for anybody who wants to read about some of what my predictions were, um, at, but you're not a recruiter, you're not an HR, uh, the first 130 pages has nothing to do with recruitment. The first 130 pages, which originally titled when the shift hits your plan. Um, and it was about VUCA and what the world, and I wrote a couple pages in there about what our world will look like when we're, when we have autonomous vehicles and what happens to the Wawa's and the sheets and the Turkey Hills and the little convenience stores. Uh, what happens to all the shops along the way? What happens to hotels that you don't have to sleep in because you go in the autonomous vehicle and it'll drive you there. We experienced that in the pandemic when we shut down in April and May. Of, of people didn't have to go to the convenience store to get gas. People, people didn't go to the convenience store and stop, stop and get lottery tickets and cigarettes and milk um, because, because we weren't driving by there. Um, and that's, that's the world. I mean, basically, we got a glimpse inside what our world will look like when we have autonomous vehicles, what our urban center is going to look like when there's not, um, you know, a couple thousand cars coming in every day uh, and we rely more on public transportation or we work from home. Um, you use the term Googleization and I'm just, um, you're the chief um, executive, uh, chief Googleization officer. What is Googleization? And did, do you have to pay or get permission to use that term? No. Um, and hopefully that's not going to change. <laughs> so, um, the, I, I basically came up with that um, when I wrote my uh, prior book called Geek Skeezes and Googleization, which has that since, since adopted that for my podcast. Um, so it basically was at the time where we everybody was talking about the four or five generations working in the workplace simultaneously. That was a big deal. We, we had, you know, that was about the millennials and then we got Gen Z, but we basically had uh, Gen X, baby boomers, uh, traditionalists, and even if you want to go earlier than, than that. Uh, so we had multiple generations, but everyone was focused on what are we going to do about that? And I said, that wasn't the problem. We had, we had multiple generations working simultaneously, which was a challenge. But the bigger challenge was what about, about the technology. And you had people that were the geeks and the geezers. Um, you know, had young, like myself, I, I use a lot of technology. I'm definitely an older baby boomer. There was a lot of young millennials who weren't using technology. So there, there was even another category. Um, what, what Googleization became was really the convergence of business, technology, and people. And they were all changing. The people were changing, the technology was accelerating, and business was evolving. And Googleization just was that. Now, Googleization was also written about almost at the same time uh, by somebody else. Uh, and again, it's just an error, it's a period of time. And uh, so I'm, I, I'm very careful, though, not to infringe upon Google, <laughs> uh, but even using their colors. Or, you know, we almost had Googleization in the different colors that reflected Google. but. 
So, but Googleization, they, frankly, they were living in, in an era of Google. I mean, they, they set the ball rolling, <laughs> you know, especially with search and now with uh, uh, quite quantifying all the information that's out there available, making it accessible. It's just amazing. I remember the first search engine, how clumsy it was, you know, you, you typed in something and it was like, how, why in the world is this coming back? Now it predicts what you're going to type in. Yeah. You type three letters in and it comes up. It's like, it's like, how did it know I was thinking about this? <laughs> um, when I go to ask a question and the question's already there, I'm like, oh, I'm not alone, thankfully. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or it's reading your mind. <laughs> or it's reading my mind. <laughs> One of those things. Um, I would love to wrap up with a couple of thoughts that you have on um, how it is that um, as organizations are trying to recruit and reach top talent, um, how do we need to think differently about it um, from like the acquisition that like, you know, any thoughts on yeah. we need to evolve to? Well, you definitely become smarter and I highly encourage people to use technology but don't rely on the technology to solve the problem. Just like people said, oh, now we got a need. We can just go out there. Indeed didn't solve the problem. People or people bought an ATS and they use the technology to fix the problem. And they basically purchased somebody else's workflow, um, you know, that designed it uh, or, or it was tested on and people adopted it. You still have to, you, you need to use technology to automate what can be automated but the purpose of this technology is to free up your time so you can connect with the people that are qualified. So rather than sifting through 100 or 50 or 1,000 resumes manually and entering them into a spreadsheet, automate part of that. By doing that, you allow yourself to respond to the top candidates and also respond to the people who didn't make it. I mean, you know, one of the things that people hate is technology basically took the human out of HR because people relied on, on it was easy to apply, but then they fell into the HR black hole and never heard from them ever, ever again. Um, there are ways to use the technology to keep in touch with human beings and then allowing you to have faster, more effective conversations with human beings um, that's the direction you're going to go. That's your roadmap. If you're not going to do that, then there are, it's going to get really, really hard to find good people. Mm. It's an interesting um, in thinking that that's the tip, and yet I think that that's the way it always should should be done, anyways. Um, yeah, making yeah, people right. just defaulted. Hey, we're going to get it. The technology won't let us do it this way. So I guess since other companies are using it, that's the right way to do it. And it's turned out one of the craziest things, and I know we, you want to wrap up, but I'll, I'll, so I'll leave it with this. Uh, the talent board, and I suggest that you can go up to the talent board, just search for the talent board. They do a, a massive um, survey every year. And it'll be really, really interesting this year. Um, but the 2020 report that came out in the beginning of the year before the pandemic, shared that since 2016, candidate resentment, resentment's a pretty strong word, not just that they're dissatisfied or, or upset, candidate resentment increased 40% between 2016 and 2019, which is absurd because with all the technology, it should have improved. We, we, with all the focus, with all the people trying to do better, it should have improved and yet it got much worse because people defaulted to the, to the technology to do the job. And again, the technology should be selected 
and it should do what needs to be done to remove the tedious repetitive work so you can respond to candidates faster. Yeah, um, I appreciate that. One of the things that um, I work with in, in from a coaching standpoint is that your, your brand imprint that you're making on candidates who are, are saying that they want to work with you can either be really good or really bad. Um, and you get to choose, you know, which way, which way it is. So I would agree that resent, that makes a lot of sense, actually, that, and that's sad, actually. Yeah, and even within this, we started the conversation with adaptability. Um, yep. HR needs to be adaptable. And, yes. and, it, and traditionally, it has not been. They, they've been sort of the compliance administrative people, box checkers, uh, trying to hold the fort down, not, not allowing the company to get in trouble and get sued. Um, that's true. That's still the role. Um, but they, but HR needs to really be much more adaptable. And, and basically, it's, it's an opportunity to be leaders and, and lead the way uh, and teach people how to be adaptable. Eric, it has been such a pleasure to have this conversation Absolutely. with you. I, um, I definitely would um, want to ask you if um, our listeners wanted to um, follow you, where, where's the best platform for them to check you out at? I'm most active on LinkedIn and then indirectly Twitter um, from that. Um, but most, most conversations they have, most connections, most uh, are, is the easiest way for me personally. Um, my website, Success Performance Solutions. Um, I've got a personal website, iwillwolf.com, but LinkedIn is where uh, most of my communication goes on. And then I'd also like to offer for anybody who's interested, uh, you can go to uh, besthrbook.com. That was an award I got for it. So from Book Authority, they selected as one of the best uh, HR and recruiting books of all time. Uh, but if you go to best, besthrbook.com, um, you can actually order the book for free. It, they only charge a few dollars for shipping. So you can get recruiting and age of Googleization. As I said, the first half of the book has nothing. It was just about change. And the last half of the book is what recruiting is going to look like in, in, the, in the next normal. So. Fantastic. Well, the, um, there's a couple of big takeaways for me uh, from our, our conversation today, but I'm going to have to look um, around where I can start to unlearn things that are no longer helping me. So, Ira, thank you so much for your time. It has been a pleasure. It has been a pleasure. Thank you very much. Stay safe, everyone. Thank you.